Ever wonder what it might look like for your nonprofit to partner with a corporation? Here are some ideas to get you started with today's episode. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 65, where we are doing something special today. We are going to be rebroadcasting a webinar that we actually did with the business development director, uh, Samer Brook from DoSomething.org. DoSomething.org, a leader in teens and social impact across America, and are phenomenal at working with corporations in order to achieve uh, achieve their mission. They've got a very unique approach to how they do it, and so I thought it'd be a fun webinar. You can get the actual video from the webinar with presentation on our site. You can find episode 65 on our podcasts section and, and dig it up, or on our wholewhale.com slash events uh, page, but we felt that the audio was enough to walk you through the fundamentals of cause marketing and how you might use it for our podcast fans. So please enjoy. My name is Meredith Esquivel. I'm a digital marketing whaler at Whole Whale, a digital agency that helps nonprofits leverage data to increase social impact. Our host today is Samra Brook, Director of Business Development at DoSomething.org, an organization that gets young people involved in making social change both online and off. After Samra's presentation, Chief Whaler George Weiner will hop in to ask some questions and dive deeper into their cause marketing approach. And then we'll open it up for your questions. So feel free to leave those in the chat box as we go along. And don't worry about taking copious notes because this webinar will be recorded and sent to you afterwards. So with that, I hand the mic over to Samra. Thanks, Meredith. And hello, everyone. So great to be here. Um, here at Do Something, we do a ton of this cause marketing and corporate partnerships. And so I love the chance anytime we get to share some of what we've learned over um, the past 20 years for the organization and me personally over the past two years. So hopefully uh, the hope is that after this, you can come out with a few, um, at least a few tactics and hopefully, you know, use those in some of the work that you're doing. So I think cause marketing is probably one of the most popular words I've heard, and I'm sure it's partly because of this is where I work, but I think it's a big thing right now. And especially in the climate we're in, um, I would venture to say all marketing uh, should have some aspect of cause aligned with it. And so that has really positioned to do something in a place where we're able to provide that platform. And so where, uh, where companies intersect with wanting to introduce their brands to young people and wanting to um, do that through social change is really do something's sweet spot. And I think another thing we've seen is that, uh, well, millennials, I think, and Gen Z have gotten the, uh, the reputation for always wanting companies that are mission-driven and who care about the issues they care about. I think that's going beyond that demographic. So hopefully those of you who aren't even just focused on those young people will also find something that you can take back and share. I figured we might start with a little game because I know that webinars can be uh, a little dry sometimes and in the do something way, which we consider ourselves to be a pretty fun group. Um, I, I figured we'd start like this. So 
for anyone who's heard of the game Two Truths and a Lie. Personally, I've only been introduced uh, when it's a drinking game, but given the hour, we'll step away from that and just look at uh, these two truths and a lie. So if you've played it before, I'm going to give you three statements. Uh, two of them are true and one is a lie. And you can think to yourselves which one you think is the lie. So the first statement, uh, Wendy's financial support for foster care programs aligns perfectly with the founder Dave Thomas's own story of adoption. The second statement, CVS's support of organizations working to end smoking is further reinforced by their decision to no longer sell tobacco products in their stores. And the third statement, the NFL's financial support of domestic violence organizations has helped the league to distance itself from the negative press associated with players that have been accused or convicted of this crime. Obviously, we can't do a true uh, show of hands vote, but what I'm guessing is that a lot of you probably had pause after number three, which is truthfully a bummer uh, because the NFL is making hugely valuable um, and necessary support and contributions to many domestic violence organizations. But given the league's actions around players uh, that have been accused or convicted of the crime, it's hard for this to truly achieve that resonant story that generous support at this scale really should. And so this leads me to a huge piece of, of, um, of partnerships of this scale. And that's, it can't just be about the money. It has to also be about making a connection with a brand to a cause that makes sense and that it needs to be, in addition to the money, also authentic. And so when you want to see a company, you know, donating, which is amazing, and don't get me wrong, in the world of development, I wouldn't be here if we weren't raising money for our organizations. But again, that story needs to be authentic to also the actions of a company. I'll apologize now because in 2016, I promised to stop using the word authenticity. <coughs> but I haven't been able to find a good alternative. So maybe in the question and answer portion. Someone can uh, give me a great alternative for this word, but I just love it because it, it does encompass so much of what we look for, and I've yet to find something that um, encompasses it as well. What is DoSomething.org, and really why should you care about what I have to say about cause marketing partnerships? Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, as Meredith alluded to, DoSomething.org is a global not-for-profit organization based here in New York City with a very unique business model. So we partner with several different corporate partners to create co-branded cause marketing campaigns to reach our millions of members and promote our mission, which is to create the most socially conscious and socially active generation ever. All of our cause campaigns um, will never require money, an adult, or a car. And they each have a clear call to action that achieves proven measurable impact on the cause space. Of those campaigns, we have ones that address every issue that our members might care about. Anything from homelessness to climate change, sustainability, education, animals, violence, inclusion, bullying, cancer, um, the list goes on. Literally anything that a young person might want to take action on in their community, we wanna be that source for them. And our campaigns are designed to scale so that any young person, wherever they are, can take that action. And that's because our members are literally everywhere. 
uh, we have over 5 million members, and these are people aged mostly 13 to 25. And that puts us at what would be the second largest city in the country. To become a member, you sign up for Do Something campaign via email or more likely via your cell phone. And through that, we're able to text with over 3 million of our members which allows us to drive tremendous action and also enables us to capture incredible amounts of data on young people, their preferences, their actions, their habits. And so with this huge group of young people spanning between millennial and Gen Z now, um, we see that it's an incredibly diverse group. But the one thing that we see as the universal truth among all of them is that they're incredible BS detectors. And so going back to the idea of authenticity, if something is inauthentic, they'll know. And that really forces us at Juiceman to be constantly on top of our game when it comes to building these partnerships with brands. Uh, because if we don't, we know our members will call us out on it. And that's led us to create a few rules of the road um, that really guide us when building our corporate partnerships and to make sure we're always crushing it with our campaigns and creating impact, uh, crushing it for our corporate partners and giving them something they can be proud of. And of course, um, perhaps most importantly, our members. So making sure that young people are excited by these campaigns, that they're interacting with them and that they are taking uh, that social change action. First, make sense. Any corporate partnership uh, just has to make sense and we'll go into it uh, a little further to kind of show you what that looks like to us. Second is that these partnerships should supersize a story worth telling. A lot of times we tell our partners who have incredible programs that may be local or in their um, immediate vicinity around the country and we want to put a megaphone to those stories because they're worth telling. Three, they should inspire not only awareness, but action. Everything we do as an impact organization needs to drive action. And so we want to see that in our corporate partnerships as well. And lastly, they have to be honest. And I think this is a really great one to focus on for a moment because by no means does honesty mean being flawless. And we will never pretend that we are flawless or in any way perfect, but having honesty and transparency has proven um, very successful for us, both with our members and with our corporate partners. A first example to show um, a story making sense. So I'll use an example uh, with Sprint, who we've worked with for about five years now, and they wanted to end texting and driving. We all know that scare tactics don't work for young people, but we know it does. Uh, putting little veritable condoms on your thumbs, rendering them unable to text while driving. Even better, we gave an extra pair of thumb socks for people to share with a friend. And so this was our campaign, Thumb Wars. And at least 59% of young people know texting and driving is dangerous, but 46% drive distracted anyway. So we wanted to employ another tactic that teens respond to, peer pressure. So of course we don't expect our members to slide on a pair of thumb socks every time they get behind the wheel, but the true impact of the campaign comes from a unique, fun and effective device to spark a conversation among friends about texting and driving. Over our five years, we reached over 1 million young people and have created the largest youth-led movement to end texting and driving. In addition to that, our members submit some of the most incredible photos of them wearing their thumb socks. 
I always feel I have to share explicitly that these are not paid models <laughs> and we did not help this uh, photo come to life. This was a photo that was submitted from one of our members showing them in, in, um, talking about texting and driving with their friends. And all of our uh, campaigns receive equally incredible content. And that's a core piece of the Do Something campaign. So our members sign up to participate in a campaign by emailing or texting us. Then we give them tips and information to complete that campaign. So in this case, we send our members two pairs of thumb socks, one for themselves and one for a friend. And to ensure that our members complete the campaign, we live by the rule, picks or it didn't happen. And they truly send us some amazing picks. Using our rule picks or it didn't happen, here you go with some of the um, most incredible photos we've received, received from Thumb Wars. And more than just incredible member content, all these photos show when a partnership makes sense, you really can create evangelists for the cause and the partners, which is obviously a huge tenant of what we bring to partners. And not only does this partnership have meaning, but it's also like truly meaningful for our members. So saying that it makes sense is just the simplest way we can think to put it. It's that aha moment. Um, and I could say the partnership needs to resonate with the intended audience, it's definitely true, but the authentic partnership doesn't need jargon. It just needs to make sense. So I'll stop for a second. Um, I promise I would stop for a little bit throughout if there were any questions or anything that I wanted to clarify. Hey, actually, uh, George, I'm just jumping in here. I'm curious, can you go into the sort of, what was that initial handshake with Sprint? How did you walk in the door and be like, look, we need to get a lot of kids, a lot of thumb condoms. Like how and why did they sign up for this? You mean you wouldn't sign up for thumb condoms on the spot? I don't, I don't know if I'm shelling out as Sprint being like, what do you, you want to do what now? Talk um, no, us through that. Yeah, that's a great question. And so um, it was actually, if we're going to dig a little deeper, it is a little twofold here for Sprint. So mind you, this was now five or six years ago where these conversations started. So Sprint was really in the game of we need to hit the younger market. And so it was twofold. One, it was needed to um, relate to millennials because Gen Z wasn't a thing then. Uh, and then two was, this was one of the huge pillars of their CSR, which is the end to texting and driving. And so- Sorry, what does CSR mean? Oh, sorry, corporate social responsibility. What does that actually mean? It depends on who you talk to, but um, <laughs> I would say an overarching theme or definition for corporate social responsibility is essentially companies realizing that no longer is it okay to simply exist to sell a product and to profit from that. And so they have been seeing trends of consumers wanting more out of their companies and also lots of um, policies going into effect from sustainability to having to give certain amounts of your your profits back to social good. And so I think a lot of people have seen that trend and which has led to huge companies starting foundations, starting entire arms of corporate social responsibility. And I will add to that, um, and I know this is one of the questions that we'll get to later, but another trend we've seen is the kind of um, moving over of a lot of corporate social responsibility pillars into straight up marketing. So a lot of when I was talking about cause marketing being really just marketing at this point, you do see a lot of marketing dollars now moving towards more cause related things, which is truly amazing for anyone in the social impact space that marketing dollars that are usually used to drive profit are now being used for, um, for social good, which is in my book, incredible. So 
sorry to interrupt there. You were you walk into Sprint and you're like, look, we got all these thumb condoms. It's a great idea. Give us money. Like, what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. So, so again, so they were really looking to solve for those two things. And I think um, number one is you need to understand if you can even supply value to a, to a partner, right? And so we knew we had the young people and we had never touched texting and driving really. And so that was a new challenge for us. And so the second part of the conversation was what does do something bring to this sponsor that's different than just running their own campaign. And frankly, that is the incredible data we have on young people and the ability to create these unique, fun, engaging calls to action that are different than a simple PSA or an awareness campaign. And so given that uh, directive to find a fun, engaging way to end texting and driving, not using scare tactics, we tapped into a lot of the data we had on what kinds of actions work for this demographic. And um, our, we have a, a dedicated campaigns team that does the research and vets these actions to see if they create impact and are engaging to young people and came up with this idea of, well, if you give them these super nerdy looking things to put on their thumbs and a pair to share with their friends, you've now created a fun interaction between a friend because no one wants to go to a friend and wag their finger and say, you really shouldn't text and drive. You should trust me, I was definitely that girl in high school and nobody wants to hear that from anybody in high school. So this was a way to have a fun conversation, but at the end of the day, you're actually learning intervention tactics. And so I think that was what was interesting um, to Sprint, that this wasn't an idea that they could come up with on their own. And it was a way to engage with this demographic while not being kind of patronizing and telling them what to do. Yeah, so you talked about the marketing department and foundations. What side of, let's say, for, for Sprint or in general, are you walking into and pitching these ideas to? It honestly runs the gamut. Um, I, I would have to say it's probably like 50-50 in terms of when we start conversations. This specifically was with the Sprint Foundation because that pillar was so um, important to what they were doing. Cool. Thanks for the interlude there. I'll let you yeah. supersize your story some more. Great, thank you. <laughs> Great, and so um, obviously, like as you were just saying, anyone who hears Sprint did a text texting and driving campaign would say, yeah, that makes total sense, no brainer. But sometimes we're totally aware that there are stories that are not no, no brainers and might not even make sense um, at first glance. Uh, and so in that case, we need to make sure that it's a story worth telling and that by putting a do something megaphone, it's actually going to engage people. And for this example, I use 3M. Uh, I will say 3M has now become one of my favorite companies, um, but I probably never thought of them twice other than post-its before I worked to do something. Needless to say, it's never something you would think, young people and 3M. It's just, it's not a thing. But they are incredible um, inventors and innovators and scientists. And a lot of people don't know that story. And they also care tremendously about STEM education and really building the next generation of scientists while driving equity and access to education. And they had a specific focus on young women of color as they are underrepresented in STEM fields. Uh, so we team up with them, with 3M and their scientists to create a campaign that made STEM education both accessible and enjoyable, which we saw as two barriers to a lot of young people getting involved. We created a campaign called Science Sleuth. And we had to add some star power with incredible Yara Shahidi, 
who, even though I think she's 17, she's definitely my idol. Um, she's a star of Blackish on ABC and is actually a true science enthusiast. enthusiast. Uh, and so Yara was the face of our 2015 campaign and the co-branded PSA that we put together with 3M. So Science Week is a pretty unique campaign and we gamified STEM education via a text message based experience where members solve a mystery using science, math and technology. The text message based campaign sends members a variety of questions that they must submit a multiple choice answer to. Uh, and we call this format a choose your own adventure experience. And that's because depending on the answer our members text, they'll experience a different flow in the campaign. But all of these scenarios share a variety of clues in the form of questions that were solved using science, math, or technology. So in this way, members were able to play the game by themselves or with their friends. And um, perhaps a, the best uh, clincher here is that if you did do the game with three of your friends, 3M Foundation actually donated um, through Donors Choose to a school that needed uh, money for a STEM project. And so you've got the double um, impact there and just the story made sense. It was 3M, STEM, um, and then also helping to actually fund schools. And one of the things that was really great about this project was because it actually was such using my favorite word again, an authentic um, partnership in that the cause made sense for the company, even if 3M didn't seem like a young person's company. Um, but because we had that, we were also able to further amplify the commitment by talking to the scientists. And we actually created um, a Twitter chat where 3M scientists, uh, all women scientists were able to talk to our members, which was this incredible moment of building that bridge. And that leveled up to a really meaningful partnership with truly 360 degrees of authenticity, both through education, impact, and action. So speaking of action, um, as I said, as an impact organization, we are all about inspiring action. So yes, awareness, yes, education, um, but it has to be followed with action. And one of our most active and impactful campaigns we've run is Comeback Clothes, which we developed with H&M. So obviously, H&M is known as a leading fast fashion brand, um, but they take really seriously what that means for the environment and have done a ton of um, programs and efforts around sustainability and really made it a core component of their business model. And so H&M actually had a recycling program for quite a while. And it turned out that the US stores were getting absolutely crushed by the rest of the H&M um, Global. So in 2014, we teamed up with them to again, kind of use that megaphone of spreading the word and more importantly, inspiring some action around this great, really, um, in-store clothes recycling program. With this program, we had two goals. Um, one was to use the juiceme.org platform to amplify H&M's existing clothes, program, clothes recycling program. And number two was to drive more young people into H&M stores to recycle old worn out clothes and obviously keep them out of wet landfills. While we promoted this campaign to all of our members, um, as we do with all of our campaigns, uh, we also knew that H&M was uniquely interested in that 18 plus demo, especially college students. 
So to engage and activate that demo specifically, we had uh, a team on our staff launch competitions, pitting colleges against each other in friendly competition and keeping up-to-date leaderboards, um, initiating prizes so that each campus could see how they stacked up against the rest and really drive that uh, momentum in that demographic. And obviously, um, as we do with all of our large campaigns, we locked some fashion conscious and environmentally conscious celebrities like Olivia, Olivia Wilde and Victoria Justice, who both uh, promoted this partnership. And together, our members literally collected tons of clothing. Uh, my favorite story is a few of them actually had to hire U-Hauls to deliver some of their clothes, which is just incredible, um, meaning that they actually ran drives around their schools and around their communities. And I mean, it truly was a win for everyone. I mean, we drove close to 100,000 young people into the store, uh, which is great. Once they were there, they were incentivized to shop by getting a 20% off thank you coupon from H&M, hitting H&M's goals. Um, and then the most important part is that we recycled, like I said, nearly tons of, of, of clothes. And so in eight weeks in our first year, our members collected 341,000 pounds of clothes. To put that into context, in the previous year, and that was over the entire year, H&M only collected about 100,000 pounds of clothes. So we were really able to be that megaphone within eight weeks, get a huge amount of impact done. And what's better is that the next year in 2015, we nearly doubled the pounds recycled in the first year. So impact at scale. Before I do our next game, I'll give George another second if there's any other um, follow-ups from that part. Oh boy, I love this opportunity and obviously we're, we're monitoring the questions. I'm actually going to run back to the same issue because it's obvious like at the end of the day, like the look of success, you're the hero, you raise all these pounds. I'm interested at the initial seed. Did you come up with this idea first from the cause perspective or did you say like, look, here's H&M, how can we engage with them? Chicken and the egg, who, who came first on this? First was... Uh, first was, I guess I would say H&M. So it was kind of in parallel. So we, um, we had gotten in touch with H&M about something totally different <laughs> because obviously everyone loves H&M. We were like, oh, let's do like a, like a, a prom for all campaign and make sure everyone has, you know, what they need for prom and well, it'll be this beautiful thing and they'll do an in-store thing. And it'll be wonderful. And they said to us, well, that's cute, but um, we actually have this clothes recycling thing that we've been trying to do and it's just not working. Do you have any idea what you could do with that? And so with that, the seed was born of, okay, clothes recycling, we can do that. Let's like use our platform to get people to come and recycle. And so in that case, it very much was an existing program that we were able to just amplify for them. And that's interesting. Did you walk into the marketing department, the foundation? What does that initial handshake look like? That was CSR and marketing folks. So that was um, an, ex an example of uh, kind of a collaboration where we were involved with both sides of H&M throughout the rollout of the campaign. Yeah, it's interesting seeing the, you know, there's two ways, you know, you walk into Sprint with a perfectly polished idea that, you know, they can obviously somewhat collaborate with as opposed to truly as a, as a collaborator here with, uh, with them. Yeah, and I and I would say one thing that I think I've seen evolve, um, especially in my time here, as I think cause marketing is getting bigger and bigger, is that more and more brands really do want something unique to them. 
and they want to be able to collaborate. And so one thing that we've learned is if we can come with seeds of ideas in this way, um, being able to collaborate with the brand and really get their voice and their tone throughout the action is something that they hold very dear and um, something that's helped us be more successful, I think. And as we're talking about cause marketing, I want to be very clear. We're talking about money exchanging hands. Quite literally, this is not something that somebody runs around doing for free. Absolutely. Uh, what percent, you don't have to, to share, obviously, direct numbers, but what percent would you say of, of Do Something's revenue comes from these types of campaigns? Yeah, so we're actually a really unique nonprofit, probably, in that about 80% of our funding is corporate funding. Cool. Alrighty. Enough interruptions. Cool. Game time again, then. So another round of our two truths and a lie. Uh, so the first statement, do something accidentally texted 2 million members and implied they were Jewish. Second statement, do something members made 5,000 birthday cards in honor of John Stamos. Third, do something members have collected over 5 million pairs of jeans for homeless youth? The bummer is I can't see what everyone guessed, but maybe if you all wrote them down, we can check later. Uh, but here's a spoiler. The lie was number two. And that, you know, this was kind of a cheat one because I'm just bragging, but uh, they actually, our members made 83,000 birthday cards um, as part of a campaign we do called Birthday Mail where they make birthday cards for homeless youth. And it was in honor of John Stamos. So, um, so we ran this campaign, uh, birthday mail, and we were seeing that we weren't getting as many uh, cards as we wanted. And so someone decided, hey, guess what? It's John Stamos's 50th birthday. And so, um, so that's what we did. We decided, you know what, why not? Let's do it. We didn't really talk to him about it. He was by no means the face of the campaign. Um, but we, uh, we decided to go for it. And it turns out our members absolutely loved it and went above and beyond anything we could have imagined and made 83,000 birthday cards. And because this is a cause marketing partner webinar, I'll add that with the success we saw from just running this campaign actually on our own without a corporate partner, we actually were able to level it up. And this past summer, in summer 2016, we were able to run birthday mail at a much larger scale with Johnson & Johnson for the first time, which was really incredible. So because that was the lie, that means we did actually text two million people um, implying they were Jewish. So here's the story. Um, every other week, our team broadcasts a text message to our members, activating them to take action on do something campaigns. And so in this instance, we had recently partnered with BBYO, which is an amazing organization for Jewish teens that promotes volunteerism and civic engagement. And we intended to send the text to a segment of about 4,000 members that said they were part of the BBYO collaboration. And the text said, want to meet Jewish teens who make a difference like you. Problem was, we accidentally sent that message to our entire list, which at that time was about 2.1 million people. And we didn't find out until our CEO uh, got a message from one of her friends saying, wow, you guys really know your data. I am Jewish. <laughs> Huge mistake. 
so of the 2.1 million members who received that text, uh, 11,000 of them responded, and most were confused or honestly amused, uh, but others were kind of upset. So part of our overarching philosophy is that we respond directly to every incoming message, email, or text that the organization receives. And this time we knew that we had to respond quickly and intelligently. So our decision to this uh, was to respond to these messages with an I effed up playlist. Um, so we included songs like Apologize from One Republic or Shares If I Could Turn Back Time. Um, and we wanted to send our members something that felt like a genuine apology that showed, yes, we're real people and sometimes we make mistakes and we're really sorry um, and give them something of value. So obviously this isn't a huge gesture, but um, at least maybe they're entertained. And the result of those texts were, was really incredible. Um, we saw the highest click rate on a link we've ever seen via text with about one in three users who received the message clicking through to listen to the playlist. Um, some of them responded with like, ha, I forgive you. And, you know, some of them said, I really respect the honesty. So proving um, no one is going to claim to be flawless except Queen Bee. And that should stay that way. But um, if we can be honest about that, uh, we see that that really does um, live into the idea of being authentic and being transparent. And just a quick note on do something and why we care so much about authenticity. And that's truly because our members do. And the truth is mem our members are representative of a customer base for, for most companies. And everything we do at do something has to better serve our members um, because then they in turn are better serving the world. And so this member focus is such a huge part for us. Um, I showed a picture here of the fact that it's painted right on our wall in the middle of our office um, because that means our members really are a number one priority. And uh, we think about that in everything that we do. Which means on their behalf, everything we do needs to make sense. Our partnerships need to make sense um, so that they actually uh, want to interact with them. It means that we will only give them stories that are worth telling and that have value to them. And it means that we want to inspire them to take action, and it has to be meaningful and impactful action. And lastly, of course, it means we will never be perfect or flawless, and to say we will would be inauthentic, so the most we can do is be honest. Great. So hopefully some of those will help some of you and I'll open it up to George and some of the questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and expertise on this. These are really great stories. I want to jump right into it though, because uh, a lot of the people on this, uh, on this webinar in general, they'll be listening to it later are looking at this saying, you know what? Sure. It's easy to get a company's attention if you have a city's worth of <laughs> people on your list. Mm -hmm. So put yourself in the shoes of a small nonprofit or an upstart new to the game, how are you getting a company's attention, a CSR department or a marketing department's attention? I love this question <laughs> because you're right, we're, we're a little spoiled. Um, so I think that there's a few things. Uh, one is, and I think this is no matter what you're doing, is you need to know what is unique about what you're bringing to the table. 
because having the quantity is one thing, but having a story that is unique, having a um, core competency that is unique, any of those things are what grabs people's attention. And I, um, I also think about just like the ego factor of of a company being the first to do anything. And so you can use that to your advantage. So do something, we're not gonna be the first, like we've been around, everyone knows us, which we will use to our advantage. But for those that don't have that um, kind of platform and reputation, you know, what is it that's so unique and so exciting about what you do, even if it's not big yet, that somebody wants to get on the ground floor with? And another thing I would say is elevating stories. So I'm in the head, the mindset right now of young people and organizations like that. Um, but really for any organization, what story do you have about your organization? Like what impact have you uh, driven already? And how do you humanize that to sell that into a corporation? Because, um, you know, having the numbers and, you know, this many impressions and this many members, all of that is really exciting. But you see, like, it's still a human to human interaction between someone on our team and someone at these companies. And when you can get them bought into an individual story of a member or, you know, the beauty of the impact is created for someone, that's what gets their attention. So even if you don't have 5.5 million people to choose from, you can find those stories and elevate them. I think it gets people's attention and it gets them excited and you need your champion to get excited to then want to take your story around and shop it around to find, you know, if it's not the CSR people, it's the marketing or what have you. Yeah. You're talking about an internal champion that you're trying to find, uh, which department am I like looking for this person inside of, inside of the company? Is it, is it mostly nonprofit people? Uh, we have mostly nonprofit people, but we have some like small companies, I think on this list as well. Okay. So, um, I would say on the nonprofit side, uh, I would say look for those like bleeding heart uh, CSR folks or foundation folks. So I always think it's interesting the kinds of conversations you can have with someone who like came from the nonprofit world or the social good space and went into a corporate role. And you can identify them so quickly because they want to talk to you about the impact and they want to talk to you about what you're doing. And it's amazing. And that person most likely does not have dollars to give you, but if you can get them excited personally, that can drive that action internally to try to find you someone who does have the dollars. So I think that's a great one. Um, and then if you are on the marketing side of things, I think putting yourself in places where marketers are going to learn, whether it's conferences and things like that, or, or panels or whatever it is, um, and starting to like speak their language and understanding what value um, they're looking for, that can possibly help you. But I say if you're coming from the social good side, getting someone who can resonate with that story you're telling or whatever it is, and getting them to shop around is the most helpful. So I want to play a little game. And since you also like playing games, I'm excited for this and putting yourself in that role. So you've just been hired as the head of CSR for Lenovo. How are you now thinking about the partnerships you want to create, uh, cause marketing uh, out there? What are you looking for and how are you going to approach that role and position? Lenovo. Um, you know, this might be wrong. So tell You're me. the boss. I mean, yeah, you I can't know. be wrong. You're the boss. You'd be like, I love that. <laughs> 
So honestly, if it's me, I'm looking for something, pardon my words, but ballsy. And I want to touch on something that no one else has the guts to do. And I have seen that be successful. And personally, as a consumer, I want to know that you're willing to take a chance on standing up for something that's right, even if in the short run, it's not totally helping your profit. Um, and I think that's really important. And when it comes to longevity, that help a brand more than not and so my first thing would be to look at um, folks who are willing to go there with me and you know what organizations or partners are doing things that for example a lot of the larger companies aren't willing to do because everything's going to get saturated so if you can't find a differentiator and then also make that a part of your DNA um, because as we talked about it's not it's more than just giving the money um, I just, I don't think it's worth it. You need that corporate alignment. Uh, so other things that I think the audience or somebody watching this might be thinking it is sure it's easy for do something also, not because of the audience, mm -hmm. but because you can choose any cause you want. That's <laughs> not, that's not fair. <laughs> so talk to me about when you're looking at an individual cause, like the ideation, are you coming up with the ideas, the interventions, how do you approach like a, a specific cause and, just fair warning, I'm going to put you on the spot with a random cause and see what you come up with. Oh, great. I love being put on the spot. Uh, so how do we come up with causes for individual, or how do we come up with campaigns for individual causes? Correct. Question. So I think our process is the same for any cause that we're dealing with. And it's largely our campaigns team that does that. And a few things go into it. It's one, um, just keeping a pulse on what's happening in the world and in the country and looking at the insights and data that we're getting from our members in terms of what is affecting them. Uh, because again, everything we do has to be able to relate to this young, this young demographic. And so making sure that something is relevant to them and timely. And then the next is looking at what unique value does do something bring? So yes, this is a cause and, that's, and it's relevant to our members, but is there something unique that we can do in terms of scale or the digital activation that can actually make a difference on that, um, on that cause? And then I think the last thing is, if all of those are true, it has to be inspiring. Like it can't just be, a, you know, a lot of actions can make impact, but no one's inspired to actually take this action. So how do we create these calls to action that will inspire young people and, you know, really are inherently social and want them to go out and get by friends to do it with them and grow the movement. And from those three things, then it's massive amounts of research to figure out what one call to action will create impact on the cause, will be accessible to all of our members, will inspire them to do it with friends, <clears throat> and hopefully have a win at the end where you can point and say, like, this is the impact that was created. Okay, are you ready for the challenge? I'm so ready, let's go. All right, so and anybody who's listening and participants, uh, you're welcome to put forward your cause, but I happen <laughs> to know that somebody listening right now would be keenly interested in the following cause and mission. Trying to engage more young women in the field of comedy, this could be stand-up comedy writing, but basically, there is a male-dominated world of comedy out there, and we need to engage more young women in it. Do you have three minutes just to make this more interesting for me? How do we think about the call to action and campaign? Okay. So the first thing I need to know, and this would obviously come from some research briefs, but we need to identify what are the barriers 
keeping women out of this field. So I look at this kind of like the STEM example. And so for young women in STEM, it was there's a lack of relevant content. There's a lack of role models using the old adage, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Um, and actually a lot of the content is created, believe it or not, curriculum is created um, with a white male in mind and so student in mind. And so how do we change some of that content and that approach to be more open and accessible to young women specifically of color? And so with those three barriers, we created different calls to action that hit on each of those things. So I would wonder, um, and maybe that individual has those barriers, but um, I would break that down in terms of you can't solve everything with one action, but if there are specific things that you see are blocking young women from getting into this field. Sure, let's say it's an initial uh, barrier to entry of inertia and confidence. Um, not only the, not the opportunity, but we're talking about in the classroom, the opportunity they have been surrounded by the idea that women are not funny, should not be telling jokes, and therefore don't practice, then don't go to that field, or even incorporate it in let's say to their, their general approach to presentations and whatnot. So what type of intervention now, we're burning time here. I think we only have two minutes left. What kind, ah, of, what kind of campaign? What's the call to action? What's your intervention? And then we have to get to who to pitch it to. <laughs> okay, um, well, I think we should stick to confidence building. I think that's a great way um, to, to look at this. And so I would think of a couple fun things. There's um, one campaign that involves uh, having young people create mini raps that are actually about showing appreciation to their teacher, but that's something you could probably easily change the impact of to make it more about building confidence. But the key there is that the actual action they're taking in, a, in and of itself builds um, confidence because you're then reciting this, you know, kind of funny thing in front of your peers and to your, to your teacher. And you can just kind of play it off as being this goofy thing that you're doing for do something, but really you're now standing in front of a bunch of people and you're able to use your voice and your creativity. So I love something like that. Um, other thing that we've done around confidence building that I would love to do is even spreading like confidence and positivity to other people. So um, using your voice to amp other people up because it shows that when you compliment someone else, your own confidence and it feels good to do that and you're more likely to get it reciprocated. So maybe there's something around that that's not necessarily be confident to go into the comedy, but it's this larger holistic idea of if we can help grow confidence in young women, um, it can open up you know, their ability to go after things that maybe they're more interested in, but a little scared or insecure to do. And what type of companies would you imagine approaching with, uh, you know, encourage a friend to be? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, anybody that cares about women empowerment, which is like everyone. But um, I don't know if it works for kind of their tone, but Neutrogena does a lot of great stuff about young women. And I would love to talk to them about building confidence of young women. I think any... Um, feminine hygiene company would be great because they're, um, to be honest, they're a little more focused on like fighting stigma, but um, some of them probably could be convinced into women empowerment. Um, yeah, I think those are two good starts. Uh, there's a lot of products out there. I mean, any like shampoo company or product company, um, personal products for women, I think everyone wants to jump onto some sort of women empowerment. Um, and then I would say do more research and figure out like even personal, like a CEO of a company or someone high up, do they have like a background in comedy or is there some kind of like niche or 
pet cause that someone has that you can tap into just to get that human story element. And then you, it ends up being this like large confidence building campaign for women. Okay. Okay. Look, we'll set the clock there. Uh, we actually have one from the audience here. Uh, they say same area. However, women uh, trying to connect more women to the social enterprises, uh, you know, knowing the emerging value of the fourth sector, seeing, uh, I guess this is more women led. Uh, companies in this arena and you know given your experience this is probably I don't know college ages what we're thinking of or recent recent graduates we'll call it so the question is what kind of campaign yeah let's start with the campaign what's the intervention that you're looking is there something clever yeah um, I think something like this, I mean, I think confidence is like the, the first step, but I think for something like this, I would love to incorporate something around like also supplying the tools to, to young women and giving them that agency to, um, to take things to the next level. So I, I mean, if we are looking at college age, I would look at, you know, finding college groups that already exist that you can then tap into and provide these tools to. And that might be, you know, researching what groups are on the majority of college campuses, or do you want to focus on like a certain cohort, like HBCUs? So, you know, there are centralized places where you can contact um, HBCUs and really focus on one specific group of women of color, if that's what you're interested in. And then I would think about, um, can you host events? maybe, or can you facilitate and train um, some of these group leaders to host events and find, in this case, it could be a lot of in-kind donation, if it's not straight up money, where you can actually tap into the expertise of different leaders and have them um, help, you know, create that mentorship with young women, which I think would be really great. And who do we approach with this idea? I don't know if you meant specifically tech um, like women leading tech, but I don't know. I'm going to take it there because that's what you do sure. in business development. You frame it. <laughs> you answer it's technology it. now. Thanks, Lorna. Hope that's helpful. Um, but I think that there's a lot bubbling up right now in like diversity in tech and everyone wants to jump on that bandwagon. So guilt them, make them see that this is the answer and this is how they um, can alleviate some of the stress they have for not doing enough. And they just need to donate some time, donate some time and expertise and help mentor young women to move up and um, facilitate them becoming entrepreneurs. Okay, and I think I only have one more and I don't wanna to go too far over time here. Uh, are your next challenge, you're doing pretty well actually. You're doing <laughs> pretty challenge, so we need, <laughs> this is quite the game show. Alrighty, are you ready? I guess, let's go. Here we go. It's the importance of organ donation in multicultural communities where organ donation nationwide under indexes uh, predominantly for, uh, for multicultural communities. How do we approach this as a cause idea, intervention, and then who do we pitch it to? Oh, I swear that's a plant because that's literally my favorite thing to talk about. Um, I'm suspicious now. I wonder if it's just like a friend. Uh, okay, so <laughs> we're actually about to do something like this, but not about organ donation. So first of all, I'm sure this person already understands some of the reasoning that goes behind why it's so underrepresented in multicultural or more diverse groups. Um, we don't need to go through all of that, but it's Really, really interesting. I urge all of you to, to research this. Um, so Dude, you are wasting time. I need ideas. <laughs> I need actions. You have three minutes. Yeah. So I think what you need to do is, um, I think it's about elevating stories. So 
I can't do it for anyone, but I would say a huge piece needs to go out, go out, do outreach, find individuals who can be the face of this and make it be representative of the people who need to be joining this uh, organ donation group. And I think that's a huge piece because a lot of people aren't talking to a lot of these groups and they're not talking to them in ways that make sense to them. So it needs to be catered campaigns and it might be multiple campaigns um, to each of these groups and speaking in ways that make sense. I mean, everything from like color palettes need to change based on groups that you're talking to. Um, and all of those things really need to become the forefront so that the story is reaching those people with this message versus having a message that you want to blanket out to groups of people. And so I think that's key of who's going to represent it. And then I think, I mean, literally medical companies, pharma companies, um, people in the world of like Johnson and Johnson who have taken an oath to be companies that care, um, I think that's where you start with that. So what I'm hearing a little bit here is that by saying multicultural communities, it's way too freaking broad. So let's say uh, Latino communities. Is there a more specific call to action? Is it a, you know, give up, give up your innards or something? Is there a thumb sock approach here? How do you think about the call to action? I hesitate. Uh, going too light with something that's very serious and understanding that there are religious um, implications, there are cultural implications of why people don't do this. And I know that for a fact in some of these communities. So I don't necessarily like the idea of taking such a light approach to it. Now, I know texting and driving also serious, but this specifically, knowing that you're dealing with end of life. Um, and so I think what's key here is finding a story that's going to resonate. The call to action can't change. It has to be either educate someone about the importance of organ donation or become an organ organ donor yourself. It has to be one of those, otherwise it's not impactful. If the goal is to grow the organ donation um, uh, registry, whatever you want to call it, um, in these groups. So I think what the key here is, it's the framing. It's who's telling the story. Um, what statistics do you have around why this matters to these communities? Um, I'll use an example of people doing jury duty. Nobody wants to do jury duty and then you hear that if you don't do it, that means you don't get to truly give give these people in court uh, a jury of their peers because it's the same kind of people that always want to do it. And that resonated with me and I was like, oh my God, yes, they need more black people on juries, so I need to do this. Um, but before I thought it was annoying civic duty. So is there something you can frame where um, certain things are happening, say in the Latino community or this many people could be saved or something like that so that they can see themselves in it and so that people can make the story personal because if it's not personal, a lot of times it's really hard to get someone to make such a personal action over just this overarching thing that you're telling people to do. All righty. All right. I think that's it for your rapid fires. Not bad. Given Ooh. I gave you no prep whatsoever, uh, <laughs> which is the way I like to do. Uh, you know, right. can you give us just before you leave, it seemed like the one other core element here besides the, the cause, the call to action, the company is the celebrity. How do you go about targeting and celebrity wrangling and what are your like quick effective tips for that? Uh, first and foremost, we don't pay them. Mm -hmm. So that makes things a lot easier and harder. So harder to get people sometimes because people want to get paid and they're used to getting paid easier because it ensures that anybody we work with actually cares about what they're doing. And so we end up usually getting a lot more um, engagement and uh, commitment out of these celebrities because they're doing it because it's literally one of the most important things to them. So I 
think that is all the rules we used for partnership need to be used for celebrity. And a, like a quick example, we were doing a, an anti-tobacco campaign and the member, uh, the celebrity, we shot this PSA and it was incredible and it was amazing and he had never smoked before. Um, so it was perfect. And then the day after we filmed the PSA, a snap came out of him with his buddies and he was smoking. Um, granted, it wasn't cigarettes, but still um, really inauthentic and that would not have worked. So we... Um, we canceled it. We found a new celebrity <laughs> who had never smoked and redid the PSA and, and went on with it. But having that commitment to really working with people who are just as authentic as the partners you work with, I mean, it's crucial and people see through that too. Man, that's a tough story. All righty. Yeah. Um, the final, final softball question for you before we end is uh, what is your favorite part of your job? Favorite part of my job? The favorite part of my job truly is um, the relationship building. I absolutely love going into companies and being able to hear their story and share our story. And I very much consider myself like, I'm not like a traditional salesperson. I don't go in and just do a hard sale. I want to know about you. I want to know what you're doing. And, and then when it makes sense, we talk about, um, you know, if something I can do can help you because I'm not going to force feed you something because no one's going to love that. Um, and so I think that's my favorite part and we're spoiled and anyone who works with uh, corporate social responsibility folks are spoiled because they're some of the most incredible humans who have chosen to go that route and just like truly care about what we're doing. Well, thank you so much for your time. People have your contact info. We've recorded this. Any, uh, any final thoughts uh, before we leave? No, that's it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight, rapid fire delight. <laughs> Oh, yeah, delightfully terrible. That's great. <laughs> I did it. I put a lot of pressure on you, and I think we got a lot of value. Thank good, you so good. much for sharing your expertise and time with our audience today. Thank you. Obviously, we love talking about using the whole whale, and I think if a nonprofit is uh, trying to explore all the different ways they can achieve their mission, they might be surprised at ways that they can work with the for-profit sector to design campaigns that are a win-win, right? Just because you may be helping them sell more pairs of jeans or more computers doesn't mean that they're not also able to use their locations to increase awareness for your organization and your mission, not just through dollars, but through design campaigns. And I think Do Something is an absolute master uh, of doing this. So have brainstorming events, maybe uh, have them listen to or watch, uh, watch this webinar to get your team thinking about how might, you know what, we put together a pitch deck to approach uh, some companies that are, that are in our sector. All right, and that's all I got for you again. This is Lucky Episode number 65. You can find us at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Take care. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us.